0: Welcome to the Talk Story to Me podcast, where editors Amber and Callista go through a writing project from initial conception to the finished product. This is to help struggling writers see how editorial tools are used in practice, as well as to sharpen our own skills. In this season, we'll be working with Amber's new idea for the novel Legend of the Gemini Twins. So there are a few questions we can go through to kind of like nail that piece down and help you figure out really what audience you're writing to Mm -hmm. and so the first question is something that we did touch on earlier a little bit and it is what does your character want and why well
1: what i have down is that jackson wants safety his parents disappearance hit him really hard and made him realize that the world is a scary place where bad things happen this experience made him want to hide from the world. It also probably contributed to the development of his personality type as an Enneagram six-wing-five. Now Jackson constantly views the world as a dangerous place and has a difficult time dealing with the common challenges of junior high. So he's got a lot of anxiety. He's very big on safety, probably very safety conscious at
2: home.
0: So it sounds like internally what Jackson really wants is safety,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So is that safety in the sense of safety in his own body and safety in his confidence in making decisions? Is it safety in the sense of physicality? So knowing that there isn't a predator that's about to eat him? Could you define safety a little bit more for me?
1: In my mind, it's more about physicality. I picture him as the person, the kind of person that can take any situation to death in a way.
0: Got you. So he could uh, And that's causes. Why I,
1: yes. And I've got it set up in the beginning to where, you know, he's got this bully mm-hmm. that's bullying him. And he is afraid to tell the principal who's doing it. Because he's afraid that this bully's just going to pummel him. And he, he's taking it to the worst possible scenario.
0: Got you. Got you. So his, his main relationship with safety then is from the, the viewpoint of, I feel like I'm in physical danger from other people around me. Yes. Got you. And do you know, have you come up with a reason of why he feels this way?
1: I feel like it has a lot to do with his parents disappearing at such a pivotal age. You know, they were in a jungle and all of a sudden they're gone and he heard whispers of, you know, drug dealers kidnapping them and taking them hostage and things like that. And it has just made him absolutely terrified in the world of the world because, you know, usually children at that age have mom and dad and, and they feel pretty secure and safe within the world. And it's the parents that are always trying to instill a little bit of a sense of danger of the outside world of, you know, don't talk to strangers and Mm -hmm. don't ever take a ride in a car with someone you don't know. And I, I think this event was really pivotal for him and it impacted him in a way that's made him really fearful all the time because he saw at too early an age, kind of what can happen to a person.
0: Absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense with his character. Like, that would be really scary to kind of have... It sounds like his safety was, in a sense, ripped away from him. Like, mm-hmm. he was safe in knowing that his parents were okay, and then suddenly they physically disappeared. And that would be really terrifying to any child. And so with that said, I would be curious to also know, who is... So who's taking care of these kids after their parents... It
1: is a uncle. I picture it being... Is mother's brother? Mm-hmm. I'm going to answer this and then we're going to have to pause real quick while I run and get my charger cord.
0: Okay, that's fine.
1: <laughs> so I don't die.
0: Right. Um,
1: it's their mother's brother, and he's also an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I picture him as kind of the professor type that's never married and never had kids of his own and sort of his career as his spouse in a way, you know, so having these two kids, you know, he's kind to them, but he, he isn't like having a, is it like, is it the same as having a actual parental figure around
0: right Right. so it sounds like he's very emotionally distant from the kids yes yeah what kind of effect would that have on jackson
1: i would think it would magnify things Mm -hmm. because he you know even though his uncle's a nice person he he doesn't have that emotional support Mm -hmm. that he needs And then I would think Evie would kind of handle it in the opposite way in which she sort of is just very headstrong and kind of denies her own vulnerability and refuses Mm. to deal with her own vulnerabilities.
0: So you're you're telling me that Evie's response to the situation is very much the opposite of Jackson's, that she decided to become very headstrong and to ignore her vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. Can you go um, into detail a little bit about why that happened? Why that was her response to everything and her viewpoint of everything? I think it's
1: for the same reason as Jackson. I think she just handled it in a different way. I know with my own Evie and Jackson, she was born 15 minutes before he was. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's strange because with twins, usually the one that's born before the other one tends to be a little bit more dominant. Mm -hmm. So she's always been the really structured organized one and she's always kind of kept him together.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially
1: like I used to request that they put them in class together because one, I knew he'd behave better if he knew she was going to come home and rat on him.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And two, She had such good executive functioning and organizational skills that I knew she would kind of keep him on track. Got you. And she's always been like when they were little and they would get into trouble and they do something, it was always, she was sort of the, the brains behind the operation and he was the brawn.
0: Mm Mm-hmm
1: she was kind of the evil genius behind all their little schemes and they they definitely got into a lot more trouble than ellie ever did because there was two of them and they had this security and numbers
0: mm-hmm. right. <laughs> so so you're kind of looking to bring that dynamic into the book right
1: yeah although evie is actually an enneagram too
0: interesting
1: But my oldest daughter is an Enneagram 8. So I'm almost kind of stealing a little bit of both in a way. Because Ellie is the one that's very headstrong and very in charge and Mm -hmm. doesn't like vulnerability.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, as we
0: had also discussed in the previous podcast, though, at least I think it was the previous podcast, your character's while they're based on Jackson and Evie are not going to be direct correlations to them. So it makes sense though, that you're kind of picking and choosing which traits to magnify, which traits to combine with like others. So that kind of makes sense that you're like, well, Evie in real life is like this, but in the book, she's going to be a little bit more like this.
1: Yeah. I've tried to decide, you know, what works best as far as them being companions I even toyed with the idea of her being kind of like the mirror of the being a five wing six like me mm-hmm. or being a seven wing six just to have that overlap with him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I I think I don't know that we did it on the podcast but I think we've talked a little bit about that our audience is probably going to have to google what in the heck Enneagram is because <laughs> I know. keep bringing
0: <laughs> we, we could eventually do just a whole podcast episode dedicated to just Enneagram and characters.
1: Yes, definitely need to do that since I love that stuff so much.
0: Same. Well, going back a little bit, just to get us a little bit more on track for what we were talking about, okay. I would be curious. So you're talking about how Evie's response, she's, uh, it, her initial trauma, I guess we could call it, is her parents' disappearance, the same as Jackson's. And her response to it was different. Do you think the reason why her response was so different is because maybe she felt like she had to be the strong one for Jackson and therefore she couldn't feel all of these things that Jackson's feelings because she had to be the one there for him?
1: Right, I feel like she felt like it was her responsibility to step up and sort of be that parental mother figure to him that they no longer have.
0: Got you, and that could also be interesting to explore in Evie, whether it's in this book or the next one, if the next one's more centered on Evie, about the consequences of basically becoming parentified if she feels like she has to take on the parent role and mm-hmm. be the strong one and be the one that tells you, tells or tells Jackson that this is the decisions we make because they're the best decisions and this is the best way to live through life. So I would be also be interested in eventually if this is, even the path that you want to go down of kind of exploring that internal aspect of Evie at some point or another.
1: Yeah. I I almost feel like at some point in the book, she's going to have to make a decision that ends up being a bad decision. Mm. And it has a negative impact on Jackson in some way, gets him in danger or hurt or
2: Mm -hmm. something of
1: that nature. And it makes her realize maybe I don't have all the answers and maybe I should have listened to some of the other people around me and makes her kind of come to terms with her vulnerabilities that she's been trying to ignore.
2: Right. Yeah, that could
0: be, that could really shake someone to have your core kind of worldview shaken like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could also just write like a lot of really good conflict around that as well. So we talked a lot about the internal aspects of the characters right Jackson wants safety internally what is Evie looking for does she have an internal goal that she's looking for because we did talk about how headstrong she is but can we kind of like shape that into a, a need maybe
1: maybe she needs to get their parents back just like he does but she needs it because she's tired of being the one in charge all the time Mhm. And and she wants to be able to take a back seat and be able to lean on someone else's direction a little bit. Mhm.
0: Yeah, I could also see that eventually creating some resentment between them. Is that anything you'd be interested in exploring, maybe Evie being angry at Jackson for the fact that Evie feels like she has to parent Jackson?
1: Or that a little too dark? I think with siblings, you're always going to have some form of conflict that pops up, you know, but I definitely, I kind of wanted them to be kind of opposites and have opposite goals. So for him, what he needs to do to face his shadow is to take agency,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but where for Evie, her goal or dealing with her shadow needs to be more a backing off and a learning to be more accepting of herself and her, what she does and to listen to other people more and not always dive into things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause she tends to just be a little impetuous and just dive in.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it. she almost needs to move the other direction and be a little bit more cautious.
2: Right. She
1: needs to be more proactive and a little bit less cautious.
0: Right. So it, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like we've established that they kind of both have the same external goal, which is to find their parents and make it back home to safety. Mm-hmm. But their internal states are very different from each other. And they're going to have different changes. Uh, so so Jackson's his external goal is to find his parents and you know return home to safety and what he needs to learn through that journey is that he is safe in a sense maybe or that maybe he has the capabilities of taking care of himself physically or just becoming brave how would you phrase that I would think
1: he's going to have to learn that no matter what you do at any time in your life, you're never really going to be safe. You just have to take life as it comes and know within yourself that
0: you'll handle it. Right. So a part of uh, him growing is a confidence piece, having confidence in his ability to handle these survival situations. Mm-hmm. Got you. And so when we switch back to Evie, so you want her to kind of go through a similar, like a parallel journey, but in the opposite direction, since she already has the truth that Jackson needs to learn. And so now she needs to learn the truth of kind of where Jackson is at a little bit, except not in the unhealthy state that he's in, which is you should look both directions before crossing a road basically right right so to put it more in concrete terms what Evie wants externally is to save her parents to get home but internally she's looking for maybe somebody else to take the parental role is she really looking for something internally or is she so devoid from her, her internal state that she doesn't even recognize that she has an internal need
1: well i'm trying to piece this together because i want basically she has the missing piece of what he needs Mm
2: -hmm. and then
1: he has the missing piece of what she needs right so i'm trying to piece together i I think it makes sense for them to both want their parents back and to have the same goal and to be working together towards the same goal. But kind of like Mm -hmm. you said, to have different motivations. So I'm trying to decide what her motivation would be. And all I can think of is that she wants to back off a little bit and not have to be the one in charge anymore. Right. And she would like to have just that security of having mom and dad there.
0: Mm-hmm. And knowing
1: that she doesn't have to be the tough one all the time.
0: Yeah, I like that. I think that that works completely fine as strong motivation internally as well as like externally. Of course, just wanting your parents back is something that anybody would be able to identify with and empathize with. It also seems like a main point of contention between those two characters is going to be in strategy in a sense of how they go about getting this goal which could mm-hmm. also create a lot of conflict and tension between the two.
1: Mm-hmm. Because I, I want to say he's going to be more of a planner mm-hmm. and she's going to be more of a, let's wing it. Mm-hmm. We have. Then, to
0: sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. And then of course you can fi- try to find a way to bring that together at the climactic moment, right? If Evie is supposed to learn to maybe plan a little bit more and Jackson needs to learn to have some gumption and go for it. You could also have the idea of Evie finally coming up with a plan with Jackson coming together into cahoots. And then the plan may be failing at one point, and it requires Jackson to improvise or something. Something along these lines of they both have to act on what the other one would do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To kind of like show that they have actually integrated this new worldview into themselves. Something yeah. that about.
1: So basically, he forms a plan and she agrees to it, but then it falls apart, and he has to improvise.
0: Yeah, it could be like could be like that where they they come together finally. Maybe they're constantly fighting, constantly Evie being like, "Plans are stupid. You just gotta go for it, dude." And Jackson being like, "No, just going for it is stupid. We have to have a plan." And then mm-hmm. finally come together at the end to create a plan together. But then, mm-hmm. you know, plans don't usually always go exactly as you have it planned out in your head. And mm-hmm. so plans do require some improv, right? Ability to be flexible, which mm-hmm. maybe Jackson could also help learn that there needs to be flexibility in his plans, not so rigid. And so then he has to act on like some form of improv, improv to save the day. And just just something like that, it doesn't have to be that specifically to just show that they are they have integrated you know what I mean
2: Hmm.
0: yeah food for thought all right I feel like we did a nice deep dive into what your characters wants and whys. do you feel good on that or is there anything else you want to talk about
1: no I feel like that covers it
0: got you and so this next question we could probably skim over since we already did this in the first half. But for anyone who's listening, normally the next question you'd ask yourself is who or what is the main antagonistic force in your story? And that is also going to help you narrow in on your genre when you know what type of obstacle they're facing. Mm -hmm. But since we already went over that, if you're cool with it, we'll just go on to the next one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? There is one aspect of this that I do want to touch on. So when we talked about the antagonistic force before we were mainly focusing on on what was the main external villain and then at the when we're talking about what the character wants and why we were touching more on the internal aspects of the characters and so i kind of want to bring those two pieces together a little bit more and talk about so we know the main reason why jackson can't get his parents is because they're captured what would you say is the main obstacle and the reason why jackson can't get his internal sense of safety do you know what i mean by that
1: well and my thinking is because they're in a jungle and there are pygmies and headhunters and yeah it's not just the conquistadors that are chasing them through the jungle. They've got Mm -hmm. wild animals and there's just danger around every turn in this particular place.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So he's having to bump up against his fears over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Does that answer what you're
0: asking? Somewhat. And so I could see all that, that bumping up would be like a good way to start changing his mindset of showing him that he can handle the situation i guess what i was kind of going more for was a little bit more internal and a little bit less external because mm-hmm. all of those conflicts that you just mentioned are all external of him they're not yes, coming from what, inside him that's so what, what i'm doing that
1: is the external part calista
0: right. <laughs> so what i'm what i'm more looking for right here is what's the internal obstacle inside of him that is stopping him from making the same leap that maybe Evie made, which is I can handle this situation. So maybe think of this in terms of more worldview mindset and less external force.
1: Could it not just be fear? Would it have to be more that he has some sort of feelings of ineptitude
0: about himself? Well, it could be uh, like that. So I'm thinking since his main struggle is fear and what he wants is maybe to become more confident, what he needs, it sounds like, is to become more confident. It could be fear. I was hoping to maybe uh, take the vague idea of fear and like concrete it a little bit more. So it's, it's his need is to overcome his fear physicality. So if it's if that's what's stopping it and that is what is coming from the trauma of losing his parents I just kind of want to roll that up into a more concrete ball instead of it being so fuzzy so maybe we could say something like what the thing that is stopping him from getting his need which is being confident in his ability to handle the outside world is his fear that he can't handle the outside world. So maybe he's paralyzed by external forces coming at him. I'm I'm trying to just concrete that a little bit more so we know specifically, you know, what's happening inside of him. Does that make any sense? Yeah, since he, since his fear is
1: all with his physicality, would it just be a fear of death? It could be. Because yeah. maybe has he got issues with death and, you know since he thinks and, or has thought for a long time that his parents were dead and maybe he's having a hard time dealing with the whole, you know, he had to face death at an age much earlier than most
2: people. Right.
1: I've had to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's got a lot of questions about death.
2: Mm Hmm. I I
1: even thought about having him go through sort of a death where he gets bit by a snake
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and then Evie has something that Merlin gave her and she uses it to save him mm-hmm. and he al- almost went through sort of like a spiritual death right and that that helps him overcome his fear because he's already been through it once basically
2: mm-hmm. in a way
0: yeah That could totally work as uh, a, a externalizing of the inner process of what he's going through. Yeah, I think that could work. I was just mainly looking for making sure we understand what the main internal antagonist was for himself and just concreting that down a little bit more. And we can probably almost do the same for Evie a little bit. So what would you say then is the main internal thing that's stopping her from getting her need met? Fear of being incompetent. Mm, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Interesting. And I'll be interested also once we get to the page a little bit more of seeing how those fears play out and how that those fears impact their decision making. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like Evie's going to have a bit of a perfectionist streak. Street. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Got you. So I'll be very interested in seeing that play out. And as we go through the story, and now we have these two forms of antagonism, right? We know what the main external antagonist is, and we have an idea of what the internal antagonist is. Which has more weight to you in your mind? Which one are you more excited about going through? Is it the defeat of the Conquistadors, or is it the defeat of their inner demons?
1: Since I tend to be so focused on looking at the external aspects of things, Mm -hmm. I would probably go with the conquistadors and that whole final battle.
0: Got you. So the external battle is the more important aspect of the story to you? Or maybe the one that's just more exciting?
1: I think they're both equally important. I think you have to have that internal balance. Uh, battle for it to really resonate with the readers and I think that I definitely want to write this particular kind of story because I want to explore those kind of internal struggles right but I think my natural focus when I start thinking about it tends to always go to the external elements of what's going on on the surface Mm -hmm. and I think it gets into you know what Sean talks about with the on the surface, above the surface, beyond the surface.
2: Right.
1: I tend to look at things on the surface, mm-hmm. but you definitely in each scene also need to have an above the surface of what's going on in the bigger picture scheme of things. And mm-hmm. then for the overall book, you need the beyond the surface goal of what is all of this mean? How do I metabolize all of this? Right. It's like I I realize I'm looking at one piece of the puzzle and I'm needing to bring those other elements in to really succeed at what I'm trying to do.
0: Got you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, which makes it nice to have you because then I get another viewpoint and you're definitely better with the internal and making me think more about the internal
0: yeah, we have the exact opposite issues. I'm always thinking internal and I have a really hard time finding like a compelling external conflict. And so you obviously, as you just said, really good with the external side, difficult with the internal side. So hopefully we can help each other w- well, figure that out.
1: <laughs> yep, I think that's a perfect match.
0: For sure. For sure. Which is the fun of having editor slash writer friends.
1: I know, I know we get to discuss all this stuff. Normally I'm just hammering away in my office, trying to think about all this stuff by myself. Right. And it's so helpful for me, just having that other person just to bounce things off of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, we can learn that together. Oh yeah. I, I go way deeper into things this way for sure.
0: Yeah. Plus, it's it's nice when you're talking to someone who knows the same lingo as you. Since we both do, you know, a story grid together, we both know what we're talking about when we say, like, the five commandments or content mm-hmm. genres. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's nice to speak us, the same language.
1: Yeah, it's given us that vocabulary that we need to be on the same page with each other with what we're thinking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the next question that I have for you is... What is the main question you want your readers to be asking as they read the story? So for example, what uh, do you want your readers to be wondering if Jackson and Evie will survive the night? Or are you more interested in them wondering if Jackson will be able to overcome his fears and rise to the occasion? What's, what's the main question you want your readers like biting their nails over in anticipation of the answer?
1: i think i always pictured it as will they get their parents back gosh you okay will they succeed in getting them back
0: sorry i'm taking a note
1: that's okay plus they've got you know the missing archaeologist. they want to get him home as well And I even thought about having them get the parents back at the end, but then Tiki kidnaps Josh and takes him with them. So then that, you know, that gives them a goal to kind of prompt and motivate them in the next book, because they still have to get Josh back.
0: Got you. Those are all really good questions and good conflict that you have in mind. And so then... I would be wondering, because uh, another way of defining that, what the main question you want the readers to be asking is to also think about it as what crucial decision does your character have to make at the end of the book?
1: Crucial decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. A little bit of a stumper. <laughs>
1: Yeah, especially since we've kind of shifted things and changed it to where they get to the city mm-hmm. and then the conquistadors had kidnapped the parents. Mm-hmm. That forces me to really rethink things because in my mind, Tiki was going to double cross them and steal the gemstone that they needed to steal the city. Right. Yeah, I don't know.
0: That's okay. We That's something that we can always come back to at a later date. So Mm -hmm. you can think about it since we already changed things. So for right now, we're still going with the main question then being, will they find their parents? Mm -hmm. Yes, but then...
1: I guess the question I would then have to create once the city disappears and they have their parents is, will they then get back home? will they be able to find their way home? Got you. I guess it's almost like a shifting viewpoint where they have the one goal and then once that's accomplished, then the question becomes, will they be able to get them all back home?
0: Got you. But it also does kind of sound like that the end goal though was always still, like the reader was aware of it at the beginning, that what they want is their parents and to go home. So it's not like completely reintroducing a new type of narrative drive. You know what I mean? Right. So with that said- What universal theme do you feel like you're exploring in this book? Like if you could condense it all into one central theme that you feel like you're exploring, what would that be? I feel
1: like a lot of kids in that age group are at that point where they're kind of learning to execute their own agency in the world. Mm. And I feel like it has a lot to do with sort of learning your own power and how to then use it out in the world. Yeah. The whole maturation
0: core. Yeah. So, so you feel like what you're exploring is kind of teaching kids how to make decisions in a sense, you know, telling them, you know, the world isn't always safe, but you can still have a good life and maybe still explore the world around you and be happy and you don't have to be afraid all the time. So does that sound correct? Yes. Okay, cool. I'm gonna take another note. Yeah, and I think part
1: of it is that, you know, everybody makes mistakes and you have to be able to accept your mistakes and that that shouldn't prevent you from making decisions in the first place.
0: Do you feel like that's more of a secondary theme though? And that the other one is more the main focus of where the story is? Yes. Okay, cool. Just making sure. So going through all of this together, what do you feel like your main Genre is. And I mean that in the sense of content genre.
1: Action.
0: Action. I would agree with that. Do you feel like you have also have a secondary internal genre?
1: Worldview, maturation.
0: I would also agree with that. But let me talk about why I agree with you on everything. So, right off when we were talking about what the characters want and Jackson's need for safety, it's not a need for safety that is more psychological in the sense of like when uh safety and horror is this is all about safety when it comes to survival just trusting in his ability to survive the day uh and so that fits with action a lot more than it's going to fit with the other genres because the core need in action is survival and so right off the bat, that's kind of what dinged my senses of, oh, this, you know, sounds like an action story. And then your when we talked about the external conflict and the internal conflict and in which held more weight to you, you did talk more about the external side of it and how facing the conquistadors, you know, the conquistadors was one of the things that first inspired you to write this story. And so that was the thing that does hold more of where you want the focus to be, it sounds like. Even though the internal is important, the internal is supporting the external is the way that you made it sound. Mm
1: -hmm. And correct
0: me if I'm ever wrong in my perception of this.
1: No, you're absolutely Uh, correct so far.
0: Awesome. And then when we were starting to get to what is the main question you want your characters or not your characters, your readers, like biting their nails over, The question that you gave was an external question. It's, will they reach their external goal of saving their parents and getting home? It wasn't an internal question of, will Jackson be able to overcome and save the day? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which, again, puts more emphasis on the action piece than it does the internal worldview piece. Mm -hmm. But the theme, though, that you did uh identify falls quite heavily into the internal worldview right it's coming of age it's Mm -hmm. Jackson maturing from someone who feels like he has to hide away from the world to someone who's strong enough to stand up for himself and live and survive in the day and having the confidence in himself to do that so the theme fits with the with the internal worldview that you want to want to have for to support the external action piece Mm -hmm. how does that sound to you
1: yep it sounds like what I've been gearing towards, so.
0: Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad there aren't any surprises where you're like, no, that doesn't sound true at all. Uh, but understanding your genre is really important. As I had mentioned earlier, it's 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 gonna help you understand what the shape of the story is gonna look like. So once more, we're focusing on which part is gonna be more important to you. Since we know that the Action genre is going to be the main genre. We're going to put more of an emphasis on it and let the internal support it. Which means, of course, understanding why action readers read action, right? They want excitement. The core feeling that action brings up in people is excitement. The will they survive? How will they do it? Kind of feeling that that genre gives. And so right off the bat you're going to have an idea of the obligatory moments in the conventions that are in it which will help further define what kind of a story you're giving your readers and how to give it to them.
1: Okay. I think as far as controlling idea it's going to be positive life is preserved when the protagonist overpowers or at- outwits their antagonists.
0: Yeah. As
1: far as obligatory scenes we have an inciting attack by the villain. So I think That if I add an initial run-in with the Conquistadors Mm -hmm. earlier in the story, Mm -hmm. that will fulfill that inciting attack. And then Hero sidesteps responsibility to take action. Mm -hmm. We'll definitely have that because Jackson's going to be constantly bumping up against not wanting to take action. Right, Forced to leave the ordinary world, Hero lashes out. So, you know, they get sucked into a wormhole. Right. Jackson is definitely not going to be happy about that. No. Discovering and understanding the antagonist MacGuffin, which is the villain's object of desire. I don't know if we touched on that a whole lot. If I do make the Conquistadors the main villain, Mm -hmm. I feel like their MacGuffin has to be maybe a little bit stronger than treasure. I feel like I had more of a, a logical,
0: reasonable reason to be a villain for the chief. Right. What if they're not just looking for any kind of treasure? What if it's like a specific magical item? Like maybe it could be something that would make them immortal or something that would make them much more powerful. Uh, so it could right. be that. They're keeping maybe the parents captive- Maybe as tools, maybe they, at at the beginning, during the inciting attack, you know, they kidnap the kids, but maybe they had also originally gotten that item and then Evie steals it as they escape. Maybe, I don't know. I'm throwing things out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. With where I'm from, it was the Fountain of Youth. Got you. There's even a a Fountain of Youth Park in St. Augustine that I went to. No, Paul, this year. Mm Mm-hmm. But with the the Incas and the Conquistadors, it was more the city of El Dorado. Got you. The city of gold. That's been played with in movies about a hundred different ways. Maybe I could add an element, though, where there's something more special about El Dorado than just the
0: gold Right. So, so in the original version, before we switched the conquistadors to being the main antagonist, where was their kind of role in the story? Is just that they're searching for El Dorado, Mm -hmm. and that's it, kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could kind of do a switcheroo kind of thing where the kids escape, right, and they get to El Dorado, and maybe the parents escaped El Dorado, got captured by the conquistadors, and the conquistadors are like, hey. You know where El Dorado is. So there's the goal may it might be still to get to El Dorado. And then they're gonna use the parents as a way to do that. But the parents don't know that their kids are in El Dorado kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh if you want the to keep their main goal to be El Dorado.
2: I don't know. I mean, it could be a specific treasure
1: they've heard about in El Dorado. It could be they think that there is a fountain of youth in El Dorado. Maybe they've gotten a hint of time travel. Yeah. And they're thinking, wow, if we could travel through time, just think about all the the plundering we could do.
2: Right. Exactly. Or,
1: or, you know, what kind of tools could we bring back that would make us even more effective at Mm -hmm. doing what we want to do?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That could be a a really compelling MacGuffin that they want.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about having sort of, like, wormholes, like, spaced all over the jungle, and it almost took you from, like, point A to point B. Got you. So maybe when they escape, they use one of those wormholes.
0: Got you.
1: And maybe that piques the conquistadors' interest, and they're like, whoa, what was that? Is that something we could use, or... Mm -hmm. Is there a secret doorway that will take us to El Dorado?
0: You can also kind of maybe define out how the wormholes work in this world. Is it that they appear kind of like randomly or is there an object that can maybe make them appear and maybe that could also tie into it? Is it like a special innate power in someone? That's also something to kind of flesh out.
1: Yeah, I almost have to do a certain element of world building here.
0: Right. Well, that is another section on the blueprint that we we could go over. Okay. Because that it has like,
1: it has elements of fantasy for sure. Oh, for sure. 100%. With them having special abilities and they're going to have these necklaces that have these mm-hmm. special properties that help magnify their abilities. And I'm thinking in book two, they find out it's because... They're related to uh, Morgana Le Fay, who was a sorceress, and they sort of discover that they have sort of uh, magical abilities that mm-hmm. they explore more through the series. Almost kind of like Harry Potter discovers that he's a wizard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Do we want to move on to the next one? for Where sure. they've our moments?
1: Sure. Let's see. Hero's initial strategy against the villain fails. So I would say that when they storm the city and then they find out their parents aren't there, I would think that that would satisfy that obligatory scene.
0: Absolutely. Because then it's forcing them to make a new decision, you know? Mm-hmm. It's now what? Now what do you do? Since- you know, I'm sure they, especially e v came in, you know, very cavalier, very like, ah, I have saved the day. And mm-hmm. then it all goes kaput, you know. It'll definitely force them even more outside of their comfort zone of figuring out what's the next step.
2: hmm
1: Okay. Realizing they must change their approach to salvage some form of victory, Hevero reaches all this lost moment. <coughs> mm-hmm. So... That's going to be when Jackson realizes that the plan failed and that he's going to have to come up with something more innovative on the fly.
0: Yeah. Do you, Is that going to be around the same time that their initial strategy fails when they first get to El Dorado? Or is that going to be like maybe right before the big battle or during it or something like that?
1: I would think that would have to be Either before the big battle with the conquistadors or during the battle with the conquistadors, got you of course, I think it's I think it's generally supposed to become before because then they have that whole girding of the loins where they regroup and mm-hmm. and formulate a new plan and I'm thinking also that up to this point, Jackson's been kind of working his own strategy and Evie's been working her own strategy, but it isn't until they come together and work together as a team
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: bring together their individual talents that they're actually able to succeed.
0: Yeah. I think that sounds right on for kind of how you should go about it. Uh, Yeah, but traditionally the all is lost moment does come right before the third act. So like the second act ends on this, like the darkest moment in the story. And then, you know, the hero rises back up kind of a thing. But I think I like the idea of, as you said, each character essentially working off of their own strategy. And that is constantly causing them to fail essentially. And then, you know, that escalates in degrees until finally they're able to overcome their internal struggles to uh, come together make a plan execute the plan you know overcome save the day sort of a thing
1: yeah and maybe if I build the conquistadors up bad enough that when they find out that they have their parents that you know maybe that does create an all is lost moment because it's like oh we thought going up against the chief was bad but going up against the conquistadors that's like way worse
2: right
0: it could be it depends on also where you want to have the reveal of the chief do you want them to face the chief before they face the conquistadors or after they face the conquistadors
1: i think the chief's going to come before i'm thinking they're going to go into the city and think oh we've got this thing we can use to bargain with this guy and it's all going to be about negotiating Mm -hmm. and then they find out that he doesn't have the parents anymore and he's basically kind of defeated and distraught because he knows what's coming and there's nothing he can do about it right until they show up
2: got you and yeah. then
1: once they come his main goal is just going to be to get that gem and get the heck out of there
0: mm-hmm. okay yeah i think that could work
1: okay hero at the mercy of the villain definitely gonna have that at some point in that end sequence as they're mm-hmm. battling monkeys to doors
0: and since this is also the is, since the main focus is on jackson's change the here at the mercy of the villain this could also be when he really takes on the mantle of improvising and maybe like having that flexibility of like doing something that allows him to overcome the the monster you know what I mean like maybe he's at the mercy of the monster or maybe his sister or family members are and the plan is failing so he has to like change in order to overcome and if he remains rigid in the plan it'll fail maybe something like that whatever you choose though the here at the mercy of the villain is definitely like the main scene you know the oh, core yeah. of this the action story
1: all action scenes, I think that's kind of what you wait for.
0: Yeah. And
1: usually one of the funnest ones to write.
0: Yeah, <laughs> for sure.
1: If I was smart, I would build something into that. Some sort of improvised tactic that Evie had already used earlier in the book.
2: Ah,
0: as like a mirror or a parallel.
1: And then he gives her that look.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and she realizes what he's going to do, or he says something that triggers, you know, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so then he's leaning on her improvisational improvational tactics, but she's realizing that he's got a plan and she's going to follow his plan and something they have to do together to make it work.
0: Gosh you. I like that idea. Figure out
1: what that is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's always the hard part. Abstracting can be really easy, but once you get to the page and you have to figure out the details, that's usually when it gets a little more difficult. <laughs>
2: mhm. But I'm sure. sure
0: you'll think up something though. I trust your mind. <laughs> oh. I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> you know,
1: the hero's sacrifice is rewarded is the last obligatory scene we have on the list. Yeah. So I would say that because he's gone through all these struggles and dealt with his shadow, that he's rewarded by getting his parents back and going home.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. That fits as the reward, that he does get what he wants because he has learned to overcome his 1.0 self and Mm -hmm. now is interacting and interfacing with the world in his 2.0 self. So it makes sense that he should then get the reward of what he wanted. And yes. especially since what he wanted in this case is a positive thing and not like a negative thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I agree. It's okay. got the Callista stamp of approval. <laughs> Ooh, we're cooking with grease now. Heck yeah.
1: Conventions. Uh, hero, victim, villain. These three roles must be clearly defined throughout the story and the protagonist must be a hero. Mm-hmm. I think we're good there because Jackson's definitely the hero, but at some points he's also the villain, which I think is totally allowed.
0: Mm-hmm. I would say so too. <laughs> My only just caveat to that, and this will be more applicable when you're actually writing, is mm-hmm. to also make sure that these roles are clearly defined at every unit of story. So at the global, the the sequence level, scene level, make sure you know who is always playing these roles at all these units and that the reader clearly knows as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would think, you know, in certain scenes, you're going to have multiple, multiple victims, because I have them being reunited with Josh and Tiki at one point. So all four of them are together Mm -hmm. for part of the book.
0: Yeah. And one of the things too, that when it comes to character roles is that more than one person can play a single role Mm -hmm. and one person can have multiple roles so jackson could potentially be the victim and the hero in one scene uh and so on and so forth so they don't the roles don't necessarily have to be these very rigid things right Uh, they're they're a little malleable
1: yeah i think there are going to be moments too where evie's the hero and jackson's the victim right so they're probably going to kind of switch off a little bit yeah yeah Okay, the The hero's object of desire is to stop the villain and save the victim. I think we've got that pretty well defined.
0: Yeah, I feel like we we already went through that. Their desire is to, you know, stop the conquistadors, save their parents, and go home.
1: The power divide between the hero and the villain is very large. The villain is far more powerful than the hero. I think that definitely works because the conquistadors are adults. They've got swords. They've traveled, they've fought, and then they're up against a couple of middle school kids. Right. So I, I'd say I'd say we check that box.
2: Yeah,
0: I would say we check that too. And it, it, it is really important that that element is always in these types of stories because that is what's going to add tension to the story, right? It's going to make the action sequences between these two exciting and interesting because how would these kids be able to overpower these extremely powerful people who know what they're doing this isn't their first time taking over a city or treasure hunting they have the manpower they have the weapons so it's it, part of the excitement is seeing how are these two kids gonna outwit these people or overpower these people and so that's why this element is really important to have because it's adding in that tension and it's helping give you the foundation to build that excitement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I do think we got that down. And so go us.
1: Oh, <laughs> right. I'm going to be excited to see how I figure out how they pull it off too.
2: Right, right.
1: <laughs> uh, speech and praise of the villain, I think will be really easy to do because, you know. Yeah.
0: And the speech and praise of the villain is essentially just there to highlight the power divide. It's that character saying, it's hopeless, there's no point, there's so much powerful than we are. Uh, It doesn't have to be the traditional in the sense of one of like the the villain, kind of like James Bond villain with the cat who's saying like, ha ha ha, you're so stupid. I was really the huge mastermind the whole time. It can be a little bit more subtle than that, but a character- or multiple characters basically stating like, hey, what are you doing? This guy's way more powerful than you are. You have no chance. And that highlights the power divide.
1: Yeah, I can picture when they get to the city and they find out that the conquistadors are the ones that have their parents. Right. I could see Evie wanting to really go for it and Jackson being like, well, how can we? And right. basically giving the speech and praise of the villain because he'll talk about, you know they've Mm -hmm. got this and they've got that and we're just kids and I can see that being a good moment for it
0: Mm -hmm. and you can also almost have that speech at the same time that you're moving into the all is lost moment I could see Jackson maybe giving that speech when he's truly feeling depressed and hopeless and like there's no point we can just give up he's reached his all is lost moment uh potentially
1: Mm -hmm. okay and then the last item is sub-genre-specific conventions, depending on the subgenre, Right. Uh, which I would say this is a action duel, person against person.
0: Interesting. I think I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah.
1: It would be the, actually, it would be the hunted, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah, because the action duel is the subcategory, and then the sub subcategory in action duel uh, would yeah. be hunted.
1: I think Machia there's so Vali- many subcategories.
0: I'm like the sub 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 subcategory oh, yeah. of this genre is this.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the Machiavellian is actually where a hero puts two villains against each other.
0: You're right. I was thinking of collision, where the villain sets up two heroes against each other. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm glad we got that settled.
1: That concludes this episode of the Talk Story to Me podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us next time as we demonstrate how to take your book idea and turn it into a book reality. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review. Until next time, keep writing.